Okay, brothers and sisters, first of all, I want to thank everyone, especially those who send in questions. Uh, this program would not be possible without your questions. And so we do look forward to many more future uh, questions that you will send in so that we can answer them from the Holy Bible. So tonight we have four questions we're going to be addressing. Let's begin with question number one, and this is it. Hello, hello, poor brother John. Can you please enlighten us with the verse? Uh, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them, which is, of course, recorded in Matthew 18, verse 20. I am without a doubt certain that our Father, Yahuwah, is listening to my prayer, even if I pray alone. I am just wondering what this verse means. And so the question is, does Yahuwah answer our prayers when we pray alone? And the question is asked because of Matthew 18 and 20, which seem to suggest that prayers are only answered when two or three are gathered in the name of Yahusha. And so the follow-up question to that is, what does Matthew 18, 20 mean? So let's begin by asking the question, are we allowed to pray on our own? Let's read the book of Ephesians 6, verse 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Are we allowed to pray on our own? Absolutely. The Bible says that there are all kinds of prayers depending on different occasions. Do we have an occasion where we pray together as a congregation? Yes, when we have a group prayer meeting, perhaps, right? When we pray for the food, we're gathered together. When we pray as a congregation, when we assemble to worship the Father during the worship service, we pray as a congregation. However, prayers are not limited to congregational prayers. There are all kinds of prayers depending on the occasion. For example, Jonah, when he was in the belly of the giant, of the, uh, the giant fish, he prayed, right? Yahusha also prayed on his own. So there's nothing in the Bible that prohibits us from praying by ourselves. In fact, the greatest messenger of all, what was he known for? Mark 1.35, before daybreak the next morning, Yahusha got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Yahusha was known for finding an isolated place to pray. He often prayed by himself. Yahushua is someone that we should follow as a good example. And so if he prayed on his own, we too can pray on our own. Not only that, what did Yahushua tell us about prayer? Matthew 6, verse 6, but when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Does Yahusha forbid the pray, praying by yourself? No. Yahusha even speaks about it. And he even says, pray by yourself. Pray to your father in private. The truth is, as powerful and as good a congregational prayer is, our deepest growth come from our deepest prayers, and our deepest prayers are often made when it is just we and God 
alone. This is why it's good to pray on your own. Yahusha prayed on his own by himself. Besides Yahusha, who also prayed on his own. The book of Romans 1, 9 to 10. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests if by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you, who also is known for his personal and private prayers, Apostle Paul. So Yahushua, Apostle Paul, the other apostles, they prayed privately. It is a good practice to pray privately. It is one powerful way to draw closer to Abba, because when we are, we are by ourselves, we can truly open up to Yehovah our God, right? We can be very intimate in our prayers. And so we really open our hearts to him. This is why the greatest growth in prayer is when we learn to practice personal and private prayers. And so the Bible actually endorses, it promotes private personal prayers. It does not speak against it. Well, what then does it mean when the Bible says, for two or three gather in my name, there am I with them? Does it mean that Yahushua is telling us that our prayers are only answered when we pray, when we are two or three gathered together? Well, what does the context of Matthew 18, 20 speak about? Let's read the book of Matthew 18, 15 to 17. If your brother wrongs you, Go and show him his fault between you and him privately. If he listens to you, you have won your brother back. But if he does not listen, uh, take along with you one or two brothers so that every word may be confirmed and upheld by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he pays no attention to them, refusing to listen and obey, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a pagan and a tax collector. So Yahushua uh, gave instructions concerning how to handle cases uh, between the brethren who have misunderstandings. Because whether we like it or not, as an assembly of God's people from time to time, there will be brothers and sisters who might have conflict and misunderstanding. For example, a brother may wrong another brother. What is the first step? According to Yahushua, they need to settle that privately. If that doesn't work, then they need to get two or three witnesses. If that doesn't work, what's the next step? You present the case to who? To the church or to the assembly. And so if there's a case between two brethren and it's presented to the assembly or to the church, the assembly has to do something about that, right? They cannot just ignore that. It's something that has to be resolved for the sake of the assembly or the church. And so what did Yahushua say when the case is hard to resolve so that it's brought to the attention of the assembly or church? Let's keep reading 18 to 20. Truly, I tell you, whatever you forbid and declare to be improper and unlawful on earth must be what is already forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit and declare proper and lawful on earth must be what is already permitted in heaven. Again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree, harmonize together, make a symphony together, 
about whatever, anything or everything they may ask, it will come to pass and be done for them by my Father in heaven. For wherever two or three are gathered, drawn together as my followers into my name, there I am in the midst of them. What then must be done if there is a case between brethren that is brought to the attention of the church or the assembly? The Bible says those who are authorized to do so, like the elders, right, the spiritual leaders in the Old Testament, they were the judges, the advisors. What are they to do? They are to deliberate. This was called binding and loosing, determining what God binds or does not permit and what God allows. And so the case is understood, it is assessed, and a decision is made based on what God prohibits and based on what God allows. So what does this entail? It requires that those making the decision in the assembly, they look into the word of God. And so what does that mean? In their deliberation, they will have to agree. And when two or three agree, what does Yahusha say? The Father will approve it in heaven. Why will the Father approve it in heaven? Because when two or three are gathered in the name of Yahusha, who's going to be in their midst? Our teacher. Who is that? Yahusha. You see, this is what we practice in the assembly. If there are misunderstandings, if there are controversial topics that is presented to the assembly, those who understand the scriptures, they deliberate. They look at the scriptures and see what the Bible says about the matter. However, in doing so, it must be done in the spirit of the apostles and in the name of Yahusha. That way, the one who will guide us in making that decision concerning any conflict would be who? Yahusha HaMashiach. And so when Yahusha says, I am there in your midst, it is in reference to a public or congregational gathering for the purpose of making a decision concerning the assembly. Was this practiced during the first century? Absolutely. What's an example? Corinthians 5, 1 to 2. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? And so here we have an example of a big case, a problematic case. And because it was not properly addressed, even the Apostle Paul, who was not within the locality where the Corinthians gathered, he even heard about the case because it was so deplorable. Not even pagans would endorse it. And so what did Apostle Paul say? You as an assembly there in Corinth, you have to deal with this problem. This is a big case you need to address because you cannot simply ignore sexual immorality. And so what did the Apostle Paul suggest for them to do? They need to do something about the one who is guilty of sexual immorality. And so what does Apostle, what did Apostle Paul instruct them to do to carry out this purpose? Let's read three down to five. Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. Now I have already passed judgment on the one who did this 
just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Yahusha, and I'm with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Yahusha is present, hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. And so what did Apostle Paul instruct the Corinthian assembly to do to address the problem about sexual immorality, to meet as an assembly? Right? Why? So that they can deliberate, look at the scriptures and see what they have to say. However, what is significant, what is critical about their assembly, especially when they're about to make a decision concerning one of their members. The Bible says you must gather in the name of Yahushua so that he will be present. How will he be present? His power and his spirit will be present. This will guide the assembly making the right decision concerning matters about the church or the assembly. And so in this way, when two or three are gathered as an assembly, Yahushua is there to direct them, to guide them to the proper decision that will move the, the assembly uh, forward. And so Matthew 18 does not teach us that we cannot pray on our own. However, it does suggest when we meet together, we should do it in his name when we make decisions concerning the assembly. Okay. All right. Let's go to the next question. Uh, hi, poor brother John. Can you please give us biblical insights about the three questions below? Why? Number one, question number one. Why did our Savior Yahushua fold the linen cloth that covered his face in the tomb? Is this important book? John, Apostle John, would not have mentioned it if it was not. Do you know what the person asking the question is talking about here? It was about the linen cloth uh, that was wrapped around Yahushua that was discovered uh, when John and Peter went into the tomb and found it empty. So what was the context behind that? Let's read the book of John 21 to 2. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Yahushua loved, and said, we have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Okay, so that's the context, right? And so we know Yahushua died. And he was placed in a tomb. The tomb was covered with a big stone. And so when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, what did she see? She saw that the stone has been removed. And so this was a big concern for her. What was she thinking when she saw the stone was removed? Someone stole the body of Yahushua. And so what did she do? She told Peter and she told the disciple Yahushua loved. <laughs> Who is that? That's kind of funny. Right. So look at verse two. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Yahushua loved. Who was the one speaking here? John. Who is this disciple, the one Yahushua loved? John. <laughs> he was speaking about himself. Right. So we make an emphasis that he was the one Yahushua loved, which is true. Uh, Yahushua did love Apostle John. That's why Apostle John was, is my favorite apostle. 
the last apostle to die was Apostle John, right? Enough about Apostle John. So Apostle John, Simon Peter, hears this news from Mary Magdalene. What did they do? Of course, they were concerned because in their mind, someone just robbed or someone took the body of Yahushua. So in response, what did they do? Let's read 3 to 5. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple the one Jesus, loved, I mean, Yahushua loved, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. So according to the testimony of the apostle John, after hearing the word of Mary Magdalene, what did Peter and John do? They ran to the tomb. Who ran faster and got there first? The disciple Yahushua loved. Who was that? John. He got there, but he did not go inside the tomb. But from the outside, what did he notice? What could he see? Bible says he saw the linen clothes. He saw the linen cloths lying there, which would suggest that Yahushua his body was not inside the tomb. It's very insightful to know that Apostle John, when describing the linen cloths, used three different Greek words for seeing. Okay, in John 23 to 5, the one we just read, in verse 5, it says, from the outside, looking in, he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. So this is one type of seeing. What Greek word was used? Greek word was used is blepo. When he saw the linen clothes from the outside of the tomb, blepo. What does that mean? It simply means to see, to become aware, to notice. And so it simply suggests there's a stimulus that reaches the eyes, and so you become aware of something. In this case, he became aware the linen cloth, cloth was inside the tomb. So that was one level of seeing. But there's another level of seeing. So Apostle John, in his treatise, in his gospel, is describing for us three levels of seeing. One level is simply to notice something visually. Okay, But there's another level of seeing. And this is portrayed in John 26 to 7. When we continue reading, then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Yahushua's head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. And so here's Apostle Peter, right? He... he, he he wasn't the first one to arrive, but he was the first one to go inside the tomb. And so when Apostle Peter gets inside the tomb, what does he see? He sees the strips of linen lying there. What also does he see? He also sees the cloth that wrapped around Yahushua's head was folded up by itself separate from the linen. Now, if you were Apostle Peter... And you were there, and you witnessed the linen clothing. What would you be thinking? You probably will be thinking and saying to yourself, what does this all mean? If they were going to rob the body of Yahushua, 
Because at this point, the concern of John and Peter was, where do they take the body, right? And so they're thinking, if they were going to rob the body, why would they leave the, cloth, the, the, the linen cloth behind? And why would they even bother to fold the clothing, the cloth, right? And so he's thinking, why would they be doing that when they're taking the body and taking it away from the tomb? And so this level of seeing is represented by a Greek word. And that Greek word happens to be theorio, which means what? To view attentively, to consider. So there's more involvement in this level of seeing. The first level of seeing, it was just visual, strictly visual. Next level was to be more attentive. So Apostle Peter, when he saw the linen cloth and he saw the folding of the cloth wrapped around the head of Yahusha, he began to think, perhaps he was thinking why did the robbers, the one who stole the body of Yahusha, why would they be doing this in the first place, right? That's the second level, but there's a third level of seeing. And so John, who was still outside the tomb, now decides to go inside the tomb. What happens then? Let's read John 28 to 9. Finally, the other disciple, the one Yahusha loved, who's that? John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. And so what level of seeing is this? It's the Greek word G1492, Ido, which means what? Uh, it means to turn the eyes, the mind, the attention to anything, to inspect, to examine, to ascertain. And most of all, as a matter of fact, in the King James uh, Version, in the King James Bible, this Greek word is found, and it's often translated to know, to understand. And so it's not simply a matter of knowing, but also understanding. You, did you notice the levels? The first level, uh, the linen cloth was seen visually. Next, it was seen attentively. Next, it was seen this time with knowledge. What does that mean? What did this knowledge bring after seeing the linen cloth? Well, let's go back to John 28 to 9. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw, right? But this time after he saw, he did something that Apostle Peter was not able to do. What was that? Yes, right. He believed. Because this time when he saw, he connected it to something which led him to understand what the linen cloth and the folding of the cloth wrapping, that wrapped the, the, around the head of Yahusha meant. What was that? Let's keep reading. Nine, they still did not understand from scripture that Yahusha had to rise from the dead. And so the understanding that John connected together from the scripture, which led him to believe, is the understanding that Yahushua, his body was not stolen. What happened to it? He has risen. You see, up to this point, they did not really fully comprehend what the scriptures actually meant. All this time when Yahusha speaks to them and told them on the third day I will rise up, they did not really comprehend it. They did not fully absorb it. It did not sink in. This time, 
Apostle John, when he looked at the linen cloth, when he looked at the folded cloth, which is separate from the linen cloth, he put two and two together. He looked at what he saw. He looked at scripture. And what did he conclude? Yahusha has risen. It was only then that he finally believed. Brethren, that is a very significant point because a lot of times it's very difficult to believe. I mean, we can believe at an intellectual level, but oftentimes it requires seeing something that will cause us to experience the belief. It's one thing to believe it intellectually, but to experience that belief is totally different. Before they were trying to grasp what that meant. Now that they can see that the tomb is empty, now they can feel it. Now they truly believe. Yahushua has risen. And so when we look at what happened to us, right? I mean, remember when we all were all removed from the place where we came from, we didn't know what was happening. And so what did we do? We looked at the scriptures. And so we connected what we saw with what the scriptures is telling us. And then we believed, right? It's, it's that kind of experience that solidifies our faith. And this solidified the faith of the disciple whom Yahushua loved, the apostle John. And Peter also became strong in his faith. And so the question was, is it important to notice that the linen cloth was there and that the cloth that wrapped around the head of Yahushua was folded? Yes, because it pointed to the realization that Yahushua is alive. He has risen. Now, there are some who are suggesting the following. I want you to think about this. Because in some European cultures, perhaps Jewish, not too sure about the culture in, uh, in, in Judaism, but there's a culture when you have a disciple and you have a master and you are a servant because there are servants and there are masters. If you had a master and there's eating at a table, you serve them the food and then you stand to the side and then you watch your master eating, right? And so if the master finishes eating and he uses the cloth to wipe his beard and all that, and he puts the cloth down, it means he's finished eating, right? He's gonna go. But if the master after eating, he folds the cloth, it means he's not yet done, that he will come back. And so there are people who are suggesting the folding of the cloth that wrapped around the head of Yahushua, it's like a message that Yahushua is trying to communicate to his disciples, suggesting that it could mean, I am going to come back. Of course, I don't know if there's a, uh, that kind of custom in Jewish practices and European practices, there's a custom like that. And I think even in some other uh, cultures, however, it is true that Yahushua will come back. Why? In John 14, 27, 28, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I am going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really love me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father who is greater than 
I am. So Yahushua did promise he's going to come back. So he's going to go away. He said he's going to go away, but he will come back. Why will he go away? And why will he come back? I think you know the answer, but let's read it anyways. John 14, 1 and 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So why is Yahushua going to heaven? Because he's preparing a place for us. Why is he coming back? So that he can take us to where he is now, right? Isn't that nice? And so it's biblically true that Yahushua has this message to all of us. He may be gone now, but he will come back. But in the interim, you can enjoy the presence and fellowship of Yahushua by means of the Holy Spirit, okay? All right, let's go to the next question. Number two, after Yahushua rose from the dead, why did Yahushua tell Mary Magdalene not to touch him? But we read later that Thomas physically touches the risen Christ. What is that all about? Let's read John chapter 20, 16 and 17. Yahushua saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is the same master. Yahushua saith unto her, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my father and say unto them, I ascend to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So here's Mary and Yahushua speaking to her, says to her, touch me not. And then we go down in John 20, 27. This is what he says to Thomas. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it to my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Essentially, Yahushua is telling Thomas to touch him, right? So that he will believe. And so what does this mean? Why does Yahushua say to Mary Magdalene, do not touch me? And to Thomas, he says, go ahead and touch me. Are they allowed? Are, were they allowed to touch Yahushua? Yes, they were allowed to touch Yahushua. What's the proof? Matthew 28, 1, 9 to 10. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Yahushua met them saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Yahushua said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And so does Yahushua forbid that people touch him? No, because some of the women touched Yahushua's feet, and they worshipped him. But Yahushua did not forbid them. And so what then, why then did Yahushua say to Mary Magdalene, touch me? Not. Well, let's go to the Greek word. What exactly did the Greek word um, what, is, what does it clarify for us? Let's go to Blue Letter Bible. This is touch, right? Do not touch me. Touch me not. It's the Greek word 680, haptomai. And if we look at the definition of this Greek word, it's not simply to touch, but actually it means the following. It means to fasten oneself, to adhere to, or to cling to. So it wasn't simply touching Yahusha. 
it was clinging to Yahushua, as though Yahushua is going to ascend to heaven. And if you want to go to heaven, you have to cling to him, right? And so in the other translations of the Bible, this is how it is rendered. Yahushua said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabbanai, which is to say teacher. Yahushua said to her, do not cling to me. And so it wasn't simply do not touch me, right? It was do not cling to me. Apparently, uh, Mary was clinging to him. And this is understandable because Mary really loved who? Yahushua. And Mary lost Yahushua. She saw him die. And all of a sudden, he is risen again. And of course, you're going to cling, right? And then Yahushua says to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. So when Yahushua speaks to Mary Magdalene and says... Do not cling to me. He said, I have not yet ascended to my father. What does that mean? That's the context by which we can understand the meaning of Yahushua's statement, do not touch me or do not cling to me. Because prior to this, Yahushua gave a statement to his disciples, which we are sure Mary knows about. What was that? We actually read it earlier, John 14, 1 to 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And so Yahusha gave a promise. He will disappear. He will go to heaven to prepare a place for us. But he will come back and he will take us to go there. And so this was a promise that Mary Magdalene believed. And so when, he, when she saw the risen Yahusha Christ, what was she thinking? She was thinking that Yahusha came back from heaven. And so what did Yahusha say to her? Uh, Yahusha said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabbanai, which is to say, teacher, Yahusha said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. And so what does Mary do? Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoke, he had spoken these things to her. And so Yahusha when she was speaking to Mary Magdalene, Yahusha can read her mind, knowing her gestures and the way she was holding on to him, was probably thinking that Yahusha was going to go to heaven and take her with him. So she wanted to make sure she goes to heaven with him. So she clung to him. But Yahusha says, do not cling to me. I still have to go to heaven. I have not gone to the Father yet. I have not gone to heaven yet. I'm still going to go there. It's not yet time for people to go to heaven. Because what has to happen must be for you, Mary Magdalene, and the others, they must be told that I died and I am alive again, right? That has to be preached first. That has to be presented first before people can go to heaven. 
This is why Yahushua says, do not cling to me. Basically, he's telling uh, Mary Magdalene, it's not yet time to go to heaven. Right now, you have to spread the message of my death and resurrection. Well, why did Yahushua say to um, Thomas, go ahead and touch me? Well, let's read John 20, 25, 27. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side. I will not believe. And so what did Yahushua say? Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. So there are different contexts. When Yahushua said to Mary, do not cling to me, it's because it wasn't time to go to heaven because he hasn't gone to heaven yet. You're, what you need to do is tell people about me, that I died and I am risen. With, with Thomas, he didn't believe that he had risen. And so he says to Thomas, you have to touch me so that you will understand and believe that I have risen. Now that you believe, Thomas, go ahead and spread the message like Mary Magdalene is doing. And so that's a different context for why Yahushua said, do not cling to me, to Mary, and do not, and touch me, basically, to Thomas in John 20, 27, okay? All right, let's go to the final question. Why did King Yahushua stay around for 40 days after he came back from the grave instead of going immediately into heaven? What was Yahushua uh, doing do, during those 40 days on earth? Uh, more power, and we love the different programs of the assembly. May our Abba Yahuwah and King Yahusha bless all of us always. Okay, so, and so the question is about why did Yahusha stay around for 40 days? Uh, why did he go back um, to heaven immediately? What did he do in those 40 days? Well, I think you can answer it by now, right? I mean, what did Yahusha say to Mary Magdalene? Yeah, tell them about I'm alive, right? And so according to the Bible, why did Yahushua stay for 40 days? Acts 1, 1 to 3, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Yahushua began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So basically, um, the question is answered here in the book of Acts 1, 1 down to 3. So why did Yahushua stay for 40 days? Because he wanted to spread the infallible proof that he who died has risen. Why would that be important? Because the gospel message would be incomplete if it stops at Yahusha died for our sins. It doesn't end there. Yes, Yahusha died for our sins, but he was also risen. That completes the gospel message. This is why 40 days, that was the purpose of Yahusha, to spread that message that he died, yes, but he was victorious over death. He died, yes, but he has risen. And so he needed to provide proof to his disciples and those who will belong to him. And so for 40 days, what did he do? He spoke the things pertaining to his or to the kingdom of 
gone. So why 40 days? Why 40 days, right? Why not 30? Why 40 days? Well, to be honest, I don't know. But you know what? 40 is a significant number in the Bible. Do you believe that? <laughs> it seems like when you go through the Bible, you're going to get the number 40 eventually, right? The number 40 appears 146 times in the Bible. Did you know that? 146 times. What does the number 40 represent? Well, let's look at some examples of how the number 40 is used in the Bible. Okay, number one, it rained 40 days and 40 nights during the days of Noah. What was the purpose of the flood? It's to punish the people of the earth. And so 40 days and 40 nights represents the completion of Yahuwah's wrath upon the earth. Okay, what else? Number two, Moses spent 40 years in Egypt as an Egyptian, learning from the ways of Egypt, right? 40 years in Midian, the desert, learning the ways of a shepherd under the tutelage of uh, his, his uh, father-in-law. What was uh, his father-in-law's name? Ruel? Jethro. Jethro, right? And then 40 years in the wilderness, leading the people of Israel. And so 40 years represents the completeness of his education in Egypt, 40 years of of education in the desert, 40 years in the wilderness leading the people of Israel, okay? What else? Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. So the completion of Yahuwah's revelation for the people of God took 40 days and 40 nights. Israelite spies took 40 days to scout Canaan. So to scout the entire land of Canaan completely, it took 40 days. The Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because it took 40 years for God's anger uh, to, to be completed against the people of Israel. Saul, David, Solomon ruled as kings for 40 years each. Nineveh was given 40 days to repent. So 40 days was uh, represented the completion of Yahuwah's long suffering for the, pe the people of uh, Nineveh. And eight, Yahushua fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And so he was tested. He was tempted 40 days, 40 nights by the devil. And so 40 days, 40 nights represent the completeness of Yahushua's testing. And so when we look at the examples of how 40 is used in the Bible, what does it represent? Number 40 represents what? Completeness right? Completeness of something. So after Yahushua resurrected, it says that 40 days was allotted to Yahushua before he went to, to heaven. The 40 days represented the completeness of Yahushua's resurrection ministry. And so what was he doing in 40 days to complete what he would want to accomplish? He was spreading the message that he is alive, that he has risen. This is what was, this, this is the purpose of the 40 days, to convince people that Yahusha died. Yes, but Yahusha has been brought back to life. And to whom did Yahusha um, manifest himself. Who did he show up to in those 40 days? Corinthians 15, 33 down to 8. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. We know that, right? We know that as part of the gospel, but that's not the completion of the gospel. What completes it also? 
4. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter, then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, but through a vision, right? Because Yahushua was already in heaven when Apostle Paul saw him. Okay, so Yahushua, in the 40 days, what did he do? He appeared to many individuals. He appeared to many people. Why? Because he needed to provide infallible proof that he is alive. Because at that time, how many people will believe that? How many would believe that Yahushua is alive? Because if he is not alive, then what would happen to the, the movement called Christianity? There had to be sufficient evidence, sufficient witnesses. And so what did Yahushua do in 40 days? He appeared to many people to prove that he is alive. And so who, what is the purpose of his appearing? And whom did he choose to appear to? Acts 10, 39 to 43. We are witnesses of everything that he did in the land of Israel and in Jerusalem. Then they put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from death three days later and caused him to appear. Not to everyone, take note, but only to the witnesses that God had already chosen. That is, to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from death. And he commanded us to preach the gospel to the people. And to testify that he is the one whom God has appointed judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets spoke about him. Saying that all who believe in him will have their sins forgiven through the power of his name. To whom did Yahushua appear to? Bible says not to everyone. Right? Who did he appear to? To the chosen. What for? What would be their purpose? What does it say? To be what? To be witnesses. And so if Yahushua appeared to them in that span of 40 days, it means they were called to be what? To be a witness. Is that a privilege, brothers and sisters? Yeah. And I believe because of these witnesses, that Yahusha chose to spread the message that he is alive, that he is the one chosen, appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Because of the work of these witnesses, Christianity really grew. Many were called into the fold. This is why in every dispensation, Yahusha calls witnesses. Do you believe that? He chooses people who will witness for him. And those who are chosen to be witnesses, they need to spread the message that yes, Yahushua died, but he also was resurrected. Do you know how important that message is? Because nowadays when we preach about Yahushua, we speak, okay, Yahushua died. He died for our sins. We even had the Yahushua's Passover meal, right? wherein we commemorated the death of Yahushua, which is good. It's something we need to do. But it's not yet finished. You get it? What must complete it? What must we also present? 
we have to present and preach what? That Yahusha resurrected. How important is that? Let's read Corinthians 15, 12 to 14. But tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. How important is it that we preach about the resurrection of Yahushua? Bible says if we preach not that Christ has been raised from the dead, then our preaching is what? Useless. Our faith is what? Useless. Yes, we need to preach and present that Yahushua died and suffered for our sins. But we need to complete the message by also proclaiming or preaching that Yahushua has risen. He has resurrected. We need to be witnesses for that. I wonder whom Yahushua will use as instruments today. Because when we, I mean, if you were there in the first century and you saw physically the risen Christ, that's a great privilege, right? But if, and so when you see the risen Christ, you now believe. But when you think about it, you believe because you touched. You believe because you've seen. Today, how many believe that Yahushua has risen without seeing him, without touching him? We believe because of true faith. We believe in the Holy Bible. During our time, whom does Yahushua Kauna, who will he use as his witnesses to speak about him and about Yahuwah our God? Let's read Isaiah 43, 7 to 10. Bring everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You are my witnesses, declares Yahuwah. I have chosen you as my servant so that you can know and believe in me and understand that I am the one who did this. No God was formed before me, and there will be none after me. We know this prophecy very well, right? It began with Isaiah 43, 5 to 6. What is Isaiah 43, 5 to 6 about? About the bringing together of God's people, beginning in the islands of the sea during a time called ends of the earth. But Yahuwah God's plan and purpose was not completed there. The prophecy unfolded. And so we know what happened. When it resulted into a very small remnant, Yahuwah gathered a small remnant and gave them a new name. This is why the prophecy says, bring everyone who is called by my name. What is that name? The name he created for his glory. What is that name? It's the name of Yahushua, which has the name of Yahuwah, the creator, the father, and his son, the Mashiach, the judge of the living and the dead, Yahushua HaMashiach. There will be people in the last days who will be called by the name Yahushua, who are a people assembled together. That would be us. We have been chosen to do that. What were we chosen to do? We have to be witnesses. What must we do? We have to proclaim Yahuwah and his name. Yahushua, his death and his resurrection. This is why part of our preaching, brothers and sisters, is the reality of the resurrected Christ. Our Mashiach died, yes, but he rose again. And what would that mean for all of us? 
which is why it must be part of our witnessing. It must be part of our preaching and proclaiming. When we speak about our King Mashiach, let's read the final passage of our studies today, Corinthians 15, 20 to 23. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Brothers and sisters, why do we include the resurrected Christ as part of our preaching and witnessing concerning our Mashiach? Because it contains a message of hope. What is that hope? The Bible says if Christ had risen from the dead, we too will be risen from the dead. It is impossible for us not to be risen from the dead. Yes, one day, if Yahushua does not yet come back, we're going to experience death. However, if we belong to Christ, what is our hope? We who belong to him will be raised back when he comes back. This is the hope of Mary Magdalene and the early witnesses of Yahusha. They're waiting for him to come back. Right now, brothers and sisters, he is in heaven. What is he doing in heaven? He is preparing a place for us. And he said he's going to come back. Why? Because he will bring us with him. And if he comes back and he finds us in the grave, what will he do? He will call out our name and he will give us new life. And he will bring us to himself and take us into heaven to be with him in the many mansions that he's preparing for all of us. The risen Christ points to our resurrection. This is why when Yahushua died, it wasn't a period. It was a comma. Because what follows next was not only the resurrection of Christ, but the Bible says in order, according to this order, we will be resurrected in the next harvest when Yahusha will come back. Brothers and sisters, that's the reason why he spent 40 days not going to heaven yet. Because if he went to heaven right away, how would people know he had risen? Does it make sense? Right? If he had risen and he went straight to heaven, who would know about him rising again? But because he saved 40 days and he had so many witnesses, it is undisputable history that Yahushua died and is again alive. And so we have a, a testimony from many witnesses, infallible proofs that Yahushua died, but he has risen. The empty tomb 
is proof that we too will receive the promised everlasting life. That is our lesson. Let us stand, brethren, and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, Yahuwah yes. God Almighty, yes. thank you so much for giving us a message of hope. Yes, Father. It is much needed, especially now, when there's so much death and dying surrounding yes. us, Amen. the pandemic and natural disasters, yes, violence and wars. Yes, so many lives have been claimed, innocent yes. lives. But Father, we know that you are not yet finished with your work. Yes. You sent your son to die, yes, but you brought him back to life. Amen. This is our hope. Yes, Father. we too will be risen to life Amen. on that day when you send your begotten son, Amen. Yahusha, our king. Yes, Thank you for giving us this hope. Yes. When people are afraid of death, yes. we know we can overcome death, yes. not because of us, but because of our king, Yahusha. Yes. Thank you, loving Yahusha Mashiach, yes. for giving us the opportunity to live. Amen. And so we promise you. Although we have not physically seen you, yes. although we have not physically touched you, yes. we believe you, yes. we love you, and we will witness for you. Amen. We will preach and proclaim all about you, yes. your death and suffering and your resurrection. Amen. Thank you so much because you want us to live. Yes. Thank you for spending 40 days. Yes, to communicate infallible proofs that you are alive, yes. that you are with our loving Abba, Amen. sitting at his right hand, Amen. preparing a place for us, yes. that one day when you come back, you shall bring us to that heavenly abode. Amen. Father in heaven, help us to endure yes. and help us to spread this message of hope. Yes. That more shall be embraced by your grace and salvation. Amen. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. Yes. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.